probably close to 70% of the Bible is just story after story after story. And oftentimes these stories are just told and there's no preacher or there's no commentary. There's just story. And so we've been tracing through the high points of these stories. We're not going to try to tell every story in the Bible. And some of these themes that you see in these stories are are continued or are they're, they're stated in different ways in different stories. For, for instance, the, the story of Ruth. When, when you read the story of Ruth, you see a story of, of, of exile and you see a story of exodus and you see the story of detour and deliverance. All of these things are contained in the story of Ruth. And, and so well, we're not going to tell every story, but we're going to hit the high points of, of the story that we find ourselves in. As, as we look through this, where, where are we in this story of God? And so we've talked about creation. And we, we talked about catastrophe. We talked about the sin of Adam and Eve and, and, and Cain murdering Abel and, and Noah and the ark. And then we talked about covenant with Abraham. And then last week we talked about detours, that, that there's oftentimes detours in God's story. And, and I, I believe that most of us feel like that we don't live in the culmination of this story, but most of the time we feel like we live in the detours. And so it's so important that as we, as we consider the story of Jacob, and we consider the story of Joseph and, and we consider their wanderings. I think those stories are important to us, particularly as we look at Joseph and Joseph's faithfulness to God's plan, regardless of what was going on around us, around him. Because most of us live in those type of stories. We, we live in the detours. And there's another continuing theme that, that you see over and over in this story, and it is the theme of deliverance. That God's people are exiled, that God's people are enslaved, that God's people are oppressed, and our God, time and time again, delivers His people. And, and you, you, we're, we're just not an amen church. I know that. We're, we're just not a shouting church. I, you know, in the middle of, of, of no longer slaves, just that phrase, I am a child of God. You know what I want to do? I want to go, woo! I did in my heart. <laughs> the ideal that our God delivers is one of those woo moments for us as people. That, that, that we live in circumstances. You're in the midst of circumstances where you need God to deliver. And, and I want you to know the story tells us over, over and over again a story of a God who delivers his people. And so we, we find, we leave off with, with Joseph and his brothers, and, and, and he's telling them, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, or God used it for good, for, for the salvation of many. And, and the people of Israel, the, the, the sons of Israel and his, his grandkids all move to Egypt. And, and they're placed in Goshen. And Goshen is this, this nice area in Egypt. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good farmland. It's a good shepherding area. You know, it's away from the Egyptians a little bit, but it's a nice area because they don't really want to associate with the Israelites or the Hebrews, as, as they might call them. And so they, they're in Goshen. It's a comfortable place. It's a nice place, but it's not Palestine. 
It's not where God has called them. And as I thought about that, and as we thought about beginning this, this portion of the story, the question for us is this. Will we choose comfortable if God is calling us to more? See, what happens in our life oftentimes is we get comfortable where we are. And we get so comfortable, we don't allow God to move us completely into what He has in mind for us. Myself, I'm guilty of this. Anybody else say, hey, pastor, sometimes I get comfortable and I really don't want to do anything, right? Just me, okay? You guys leave me all out here by my lonesome. We'll talk about lying next week. An object, as an object in motion tends to remain in motion, and an object not in motion tends to remain not in motion. I don't think that's the, the correct way of saying it. But the truth is, we have to sometimes will ourselves past comfortable. We have to say, this is not enough. This is not what God wants for me. It's comfortable. It's Goshen. But God is calling me to Palestine. And in the church, in an organization, the, the, the truth is, if we aren't moving, if we aren't continuing to grow and continue to seek what God has in mind for us, we tend to become stagnant and comfortable in Goshen. God continues to push His people. He continues to draw them out. And so He continues to draw them out. And, and, and they're in Goshen. And while they're in Goshen, they become slaves. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's probably a lesson there. Really didn't draw that out in my notes, but you know, folks, oftentimes it's in our comfort places, comfortable places, that we, we become slaves. <laughs> We become slaves to the comfort, but they become slaves to the, the Egyptians. And the truth is, for them, even slavery became comfortable. And we're reading through this story, oftentimes they'll say, hey, we had it so good as slaves. Moses, why did you call us out in the wilderness? And all of us have met people in our life that they're more comfortable in slavery than they are in freedom. And so when there's, they're in Goshen. They're slaves. But it's known. They understand who they are. They understand where they're at. It's nothing unfamiliar. And they're comfortable. The Scripture says, eventually, a, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And this new king begins to try to hold on to the blessing of the Hebrews, the blessing of the slaves. It's interesting that this new pharaoh, this new king, is not afraid, and we're talking about a period of 400 years, this new king is not afraid that the Israelites will overthrow the Egyptians. They're not afraid that they're going to come to power, but they're afraid that they're going to leave. And they're going to lose the benefit of their workers. And so they begin to enforce more brutally this slavery. Eventually it moves to genocide. And they're no longer the Israelites but they call them the Hebrews. And, and this word Hebrews 
has an interesting connotation. Um, you, you have done a little bit of research on it, and, and, and you get all sorts of places or areas where this word may, may come from. S some people believe that it's a, a highly negative term, so it's, it's, it's something that would be used to, to refer to those who, who don't own land. That, that are wanderers. It's used to refer to nobodies. Uh, most suggest that, that it refers to this ideal of coming across the river. And, and it's this ideal of Abraham coming across the Euphrates. These are the children of Abraham. And so it's a people that came from Mesopotamia, that they weren't from that area. Those of you who've lived in Marysville your whole life, it's the people that live in Mill Valley. Those are your Hebrews. Now it has more of a negative connotation. It, it, it's almost as if, you ever hear the phrase, they came from the other side of the tracks? It, it, it's a term of marginalization. It, it's almost as if they're saying, these nobodies, these marginalized people, these people that came from the other side of the river, the other side of the tracks, these people that don't own any property, We've got to do something or we're going to lose them. And so he begins to kill the, the males of the Hebrews to, to lessen their strength. And, and then we have the story of Moses' birth. And, and Moses, of course, is an Israelite. He's a Hebrew and he's born and his, his mother, of course, doesn't want him to be killed and so she hides him, and then when she can no longer hide him, she puts him in the Nile River in a basket and floats him downstream. You guys have all seen the Ten Commandments, so you know this story, right? Prince of Egypt. Who watched the cartoon? And who watched the cartoon or Charlton Heston, right? And so puts him in the basket, goes down the river, and, and Pharaoh's daughter takes him out of the river. And Moses' sister is, is watching and sees and says, hey, do you want me to find you an Israelite woman that can nurse this baby and, until he's weaned? And, and so Moses is raised by his mother and given to Pharaoh's daughter, and he's raised in Pharaoh's household, <laughs> the deliverer, the, the one that God is going to use. You know how many years pass in this story? before Moses is actually used? 80 years. 80 years. You know, we, we live in a microwave generation. Amen? You know, we, we live in a generation of meals are prepared instantly or it's not worth the effort. You know, I want it and I want it now. What's, a, what's the commercial? It's my money and I want it now. You know, that's kind of our theology. That, that we deserve instant gratification. That, that God is like a vending machine that I say my prayer right and it should be answered right then. God is working, is at work long before we see God at work. <laughs> and so some of you are going through this right now. And, and I know it's not comfortable. I don't like to wait either. Right? You know, if I go through the drive-thru and it's around the, the corner at McDonald's, I, I just go get my pop somewhere else. 
I don't like to wait. We don't like to wait. But the truth is, God is working something out in your life. Maybe you're in a period of waiting, but God is at work. And God is at work in the darkest time. At the time when it doesn't appear that God is at work, God is working and He's beginning to move. Maybe you're in a dark time. And and maybe, maybe you can't see it. But, but this story reminds us, as the people of God, we have this deep realization when things are going bad, God is still working and God still cares. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household and when he's about 40 years old, he goes out and he sees an Egyptian a slave owner or, or master mistreating an Israelite slave and he kills him. He buries him in the desert. Next day he goes out and there's two Hebrew slaves that are, are fighting and, and, and Moses tries to intercede and one of them says to him, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> and Moses realizes that, that they've heard about what he's done and in fact, Pharaoh is going to try to kill him, and Moses flees. He leaves. You know, it's an interesting thing. I think Moses here has a sense of his calling. He has a sense of his purpose. He has a sense of what's wrong. He has a sense that God wants to do something different. I think he has a sense of the story. I don't know how he's got it, but I think Moses has some ideal that there's something more in store for the people of God, for the people of Jacob. There's something more in store for him, and he has a part to play, and he begins to try to work this out in his own way. When we try to accomplish God's plan in our own way, we create a mess. (laughs) Every time. Every time. And so Moses ends up in the wilderness. He ends up getting married. He ends up uh, having children. He's a shepherd. He's an 80-year-old shepherd living in the wilderness, living in the desert. Years passed. And the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help. And their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Eighty years old. For 40 years as a shepherd, I I, I don't know, maybe Moses, and and maybe some of you are in this same place, that, that at some point you would sense this greater purpose or call, I'm going to give you just kind of a, 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 a preview. In the fall, we're going to start talking about calling and, and, and what God's expecting of his people. It's, it's strange how all of this is kind of working together. I don't think it's strange. I think it's God. But we've been talking about this. I've been talking about this ideal of calling with with people in our congregation for the past two or three weeks extensively. And and, and I think there's people in this room that that at one point in your life you thought, well, God wants to use me like this. And and, and you're finding yourself in a different setting and, and you're trying to make sense of it. 
Anybody there? You're trying to make sense of, okay, God, I sense this, but here I am like this. Don't you think that's what Moses was going through? You know, at, at the best, Moses was saying, well, at some point God's going to use me according to what I sensed earlier in my life. At the worst, Moses is saying, ah, I was just wrong. Or, or somehow I messed up. So somehow I did something that took me out of God's ability to use me. Nobody in this room, <laughs> nobody that's hearing my voice is beyond God's ability to use you in dynamic ways. It may have been 80 years, it may have been 40 years, it may have been 20 years, 10 years. I, I don't know how long it's been, but, but I believe God has a purpose and a call and a will for every person in this room. Amen. Then Moses is in the wilderness and he's, he's leading the sheep. It's one of those interesting stories. It's like, uh, it's like um, Isaiah in the temple. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. And, and I always, I like that scripture because it doesn't say the Lord showed up on that day. It simply said that Isaiah finally saw God on that day. <laughs> and when I read Isaiah's account, and I, always, I often wonder how often God showed up. How many times did God show up be, before Isaiah was not so preoccupied with who, what was going on, they didn't look up and see him. <laughs> and it's the same in this story. One day Moses is out walking and he sees this bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. See, it wasn't unusual for a bush to be burning in the wilderness. What was unusual was the bush wasn't being consumed. And it makes me wonder, every time I read that story, how often did Moses walk past something similar, but he was just so preoccupied that he missed that God was trying to say something? Preoccupation, busyness, keeps us from hearing from God. Every time. In my life, the enemy to my soul is busyness and preoccupation. That, that, that too often I'm too busy or preoccupied. It's not that I'm intending to ignore God, but I'm so busy with my life that I just kind of move past opportunities. I've got to tell you, I, I've, um, in the last year, and I can't remember why I started doing it, I've been more attentive. I, I have. I, I, I have purposefully tried to be more attentive to my circumstances. I'm not perfect. You know, there's times I mess up. Say, Pastor, you're not perfect. We know that. Go ahead, tell me. You can tell me. I know that. But, but I've been intentional about it. I've been amazed how often God is speaking in unusual spaces and times. <laughs> Try it. Be intentional. So he sees this bush. It's not being consumed. And so he, he goes to the bush. And there's this interaction, you know, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, Moses, and, and Moses begins to, to talk to the bush, conversation with the bush, to, to the Spirit of God speaking to the bush, and, and Moses asks him, who are you? Wouldn't you like to ask God that? Who are you? you know, th this isn't a bad question. You know, what, what's your name? And God gives this, I tell you, this is a, you know, I am that I am has given theologians books and books and books to write. 
I mean, and, and we form this name for God that, that, you know, the meaning, the significance of it is beyond a sermon on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's beyond the five minutes I'm going to spend here. It's, it, it's God basically saying, I will be who I will be. I am and I will always be. <laughs> it, it, it's a statement of the existence and the willingness of God to interact with His creation. I am who I will be. Moses begins to ask, but who am I? (laughs) You know, there's a lot, you know, as we're we're talking about this question of identity and, and our place in God's story. There's a lot of that just in this interaction with Moses and God at the burning bush. Who are you? Who am I? You know, who am I, God, that you would use me? And Moses makes excuse after excuse after excuse, and he continues to make excuses. Even when he's back in Egypt, he's still making excuses to God why God can't use him, his creation. But God says in this, in this account, he's, he's vulnerable to his creation, and he's willing to reveal himself to Moses and to us. And it demonstrates God is active. He's not passive. He's not just a passive observer of everything, but God is active with creation. See, God's self-revelation to Moses demonstrates his willingness to partner with humanity in our deliverance. Did you catch that? God doesn't just come out and deliver, but God partners with Moses and the deliverance. You ever wonder, why doesn't God act? You ever wonder that? Why doesn't God do something here? You know, the truth is, and it's a, it's a song, He did. He created you. <laughs> there is this, this opportunity when we see things to partner with God in deliverance. That, 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 that I, I firmly believe that the importance of prayer, the importance of, of communicating to God, with all these things is that, that, that God is looking for people who will partner with Him in delivering and bringing justice and showing mercy and demonstrating love. God is as, as active in this world as we're willing to partner with Him. Now the Spirit, there's a prevenient grace that, that's present, but God primarily moves through His people in bringing deliverance. You know, we said that the why of creation is love and relationship and partnership. That, that is the why of creation. That when God created everything, that the invitation for us was to have relationship with Him, to, 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 to demonstrate love to each other and love to Him, and to receive His love and to partner with Him in what He has created. If we're not partnering with God, and, and can, I, can I be blunt... Partnering with God has not come to church once every week. This is good. I love this. You know, this highlight of my week. Maybe not yours, but mine. You know, I get to stand up here and yell at you for a while. You know, I, I love church. I, I do. But, but this, isn't, this isn't the purpose. 
You know, the, the purpose of church is not to gather, but the purpose of church is to scatter. And, and in His power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to demonstrate the love, the glory, the grace of God to people who are desperate and dying and thirsty. If we're not willing to partner with God, then we're missing the why of creation. Moses says, well... <laughs> After all this, and, and I like Moses, I do. They won't believe me. <laughs> and so God says, yeah, they will. There, there's going to be some miracles. And he, he turns a staff into a snake. And when he's there, he turns the Nile into the blood. And we have Art come and begin to serve communion because we're going to receive communion right in the middle of the story. You guys, can we do that? Is that allowed? Okay, here comes your ushers. Uh, gluten-free will be here. And we got we got... Two on each side. They're just going to start passing the plates. You can listen while, while, while we're telling the story. And, and so in Egypt, Moses begins to do these signs or to put these plagues on the Egyptians. Um, he, he has, and some of these, I, I got to tell you, if you just read these out of context, if you don't understand all that's going on in, in these plagues, they're, they're a little bit not why you would think of as plagues. Frogs. Who would think, oh Lord, it's frogs. Gnats. Flies. You know, these are irritations. But in these irritations, God is reversing the work of creation. He is moving from order to chaos. Then we have the livestock die. They have boils. There, there's hell. There's locusts. And then there's darkness. See, see all of these plagues, when you dig down deep, correspond with an Egyptian god. That, that when God is laying these plagues on the people of Egypt, God is saying one thing, that the Hebrew God is the one and only God. You don't worship the Nile. Don't worship the sun. Don't, don't worship livestock. I am God. And over and over, God is affirming through these plagues that He is God alone. And then we have this last sign, plague, miracle, and it's the death of the firstborn. And, and God is going to deliver his people. And so he tells them, I want you to sacrifice a lamb. I want you to kill it. And I want you to make some bread, not put leaven in it. And, and I want you to be prepared to move. Uh, and, and this is going to become a lasting festival or feast. That, that you're going to kill this lamb, and you know, a lamb's going to take, it's going to take at least 80 to 100 people to eat all the lamb meat. So, so to be honest, unless you're a, the green family, <laughs> you're not going to eat that. It's going to be many families together. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's multiple families, it's community. That's, you know, I think it's interesting that when we get to a church, most churches run about 100, <laughs> about the amount that would gather for a Passover. 
because they're, they're known, they're, they're, there's a consciousness that's shared. And so he brings them in these groups and you're going to receive this. And this is going to be a lasting ordinance, a lasting memorial to remind you that your God delivers. So they put blood on the door and, and anybody in a, in, a, in a home or a house that has the blood on the door, the death angel passes. But if they did not have blood on the door, then the firstborn livestock and people died. And so the Egyptians, after this, after this plague, you know, Pharaoh had went back and forth. Oh, you can go, you can't go, you can go, you can't go, and all this stuff. Finally, Pharaoh goes, go. And God plunders. The, the Israelites plunder the Egyptians. They give them things just so they'll leave. Now we come to the Lord's Supper. And really, we wanted to serve communion in every, every sermon, every week of this series. But some of these stories are so long. And even this story's long enough that it's very difficult to, to serve communion at the end. See, the, the plagues demonstrate that the Hebrew God is the one and only God. And in, in communion, we acknowledge that Jesus is the only way. <laughs> that, that as we receive these elements, that there's no other God that can deliver us His people. And, and they're a tangible reminder that God and God alone delivers. The, the truth is, money will not deliver you, but the blood of Jesus will. The, the, the truth is that more power will not deliver you, but the blood of Jesus will. The, the truth is our governments will not ultimately deliver us. Now, I'm not an anarchist, but our governments aren't going to deliver us, but the blood of Jesus will. See, you're not just American citizens. You're citizens of another kingdom because of what Jesus has done. And I say, praise be to God. Well, what's the song say? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can deliver us? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and so when we receive these elements, like the people of Israel with Passover, we're reminded that only our God delivers. None of the gods of Egypt could deliver. But Yahweh, Yahweh could deliver. hold in your hands the elements of deliverance. <laughs> you hold in your hands the reminder of what God has done through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. But God sent his son into the world to save the world. You have been delivered. You've been given the opportunity of deliverance by the blood of Jesus. And what's he asked? He asked you to wipe that blood on your heart. To accept that free gift. Maybe, and, and, and we've served communion, it's, it's in your hand, but it's possible that you've been relying on other gods. And before we receive these elements, we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, Jesus, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I'm not going to rely on anything or anyone but you. You are God alone. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, right now, as we're gathered in your presence, I stand amazed that I am a child of God. Not based on my own righteousness or anything that I have done, but I have been grafted into the vine. I have been adopted as a son of God. Not because of any merit on myself, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I accept that blood freely. I accept that salvation Repeat after me. God, you are one. Jesus, you have borne my sins. And I accept your salvation. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ which was broken for you. Eat and be thankful. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there cannot be forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there cannot be deliverance. And Jesus shed his blood so that you can be delivered. You are no longer a slave to fear. Drink and be thankful. And then... He takes them across the wilderness. And the scripture says, when God took them from Egypt, something to the effect, he didn't take them the direct route. <laughs> you serve the God of the indirect route. Just get over it. He takes us indirect routes. He doesn't take them the direct route. He takes them all the way up to this point of no return where there's a river in front of them, there's a sea in front of them, and the Egyptians pursuing behind. There's no hope for these slaves but for God. And God parts the sea. And they walk through on dry ground. And they're delivered from the chariots and the armies of the Egyptians. The Egyptians pursue them into the Red Sea. And God closes the waves over them, destroying their enemy. Folks, we don't serve the God of the direct route, but we have to lean into faith along the way. Is Amy in here? I don't think she is. All right. Maybe we'll do it next service. Maybe we can hum it. You guys want to hum it? 
I don't know. I just kind of felt like this this morning. We've received communion. That's typically a response. And I've given you an opportunity to to pray in communion. Um, I just feel like we need to open the altars. Um, You know, the, the, the phrase... That, that, that Amy used. If she's out there, that's okay. I didn't say anything to her. She's, she's okay. Uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I just get the sense that there's some out there today that perhaps fear is holding you back. I think fear holds us back in a lot of ways. It, it, keeps, us, it keeps us from serving it keeps us from sharing. You know, it keeps us from talking to our neighbor. It keeps us from giving. You know, if, if I gave this 10%, what would happen? If I gave this to missions, what would happen? Fear keeps us oftentimes from doing what God has called us to do. But I want you to know that if you mean what you've said, if, if you've taken these with, with, with a heart that's leaning into Jesus... You're no longer a slave. You're a child of the Most High God. (laughs) And I got to tell you, that's a pretty good place to live. So all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Brian, why don't you put something on play? And I encourage you, maybe God's spoken to you this morning to come and and spend some time in prayer. Bob's going to wait two or three minutes, and then he's going to come and close us in prayer.